right. Good morning, Emmaus. If you would, take your Bible and open to Mark chapter 7. We're continuing our journey through the, through the gospel of Mark. This morning, I'm going to lay a foundation as we think for the next few weeks about who we are as a church family. What does it look like to uh, be part of Emmaus, and what has God called us to do? So we're going to lay a foundation for that this morning at the end of Mark chapter 7. And then for the next three weeks, you're going to hear from different people connected to Emmaus as we think through the different aspects of who we are as a church. Up, which is the idea of worship. In, which we think of as, if you're familiar with the Bible, church word discipleship, that's what we mean by in. Out, missions, reaching out to people around us. And so if you grew up in church and worship, discipleship, missions make sense to you, that's great. Here at Emmaus, we talk about how we exist to proclaim and display Jesus up, in, and out. The great thing about that is it kind of turns into a little bit of an Emmaus dance, you know, where you get this little action going on. It, it feels very much like it could go viral on TikTok at some point, but it hasn't. Though you will be glad to know that last night, your pastor, with huge help from his wife and kids, managed to DJ a dance here for our Sparrow Project Special Needs Young Adults 80s dance, it was so much fun. We had a blast last night. And so I can tell you I have no future in DJing after that experience, but uh, it was an incredible night of ministering to those families, caring for them, just the joy of being together. It, it was a lot of fun. And so I did not teach them the up, in, out dance, but uh, that would have been part of it. As we think about out and, and reaching out into our community, our church is considering what it looks like to continue to do that, continue to do missions in our community and around the world. And so we put before you a proposal that Kennedy Lehu would come on full time to our staff, continuing to encourage our students and, and college and young adults, but working also as our missions director. So that proposal is in front of you. If you have questions about that, we have a web page about it. This evening, we restart our Sunday night services at 5 o'clock. Just before that at 4.30, if you want to come up to the lobby, I'd love to answer any questions you have about that proposal. Kennedy won't be here, so you can ask me all the questions you want to ask uh, me about that proposal at 4.30. And then Wednesday night, we will have a time that you can meet with Kennedy. She's going to come back and, and be available for that. So we just want you to know that's in front of us uh, right now as a church family. Speaking of missions, though, we want you to be able to hear this morning from some of our missionaries that we're connected with as a church. So Brian, if you guys would come up here, let me get you a couple of microphones here. I have the orange one, and then just looks like the basic director's mic. So the Welch family, many of you know or have heard their story, but they have been connected to Emmaus for a few years now, and we're serving in Ukraine, mm -hmm. but obviously that story has changed. Walk us through that journey, what that's looked like the past year for you guys. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Owen. Good morning, Emmaus family. It's great to be here. Uh, for those of you who haven't met us, we are uh, Brian Lina and are uh, serving university students uh, with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, or here in the States, you may know it as InterVarsity, and have been in Ukraine. Uh, that has been our home for over 20 years. And so when the war started on February 24th, uh, of course our lives were turned upside down. So uh, we were forced to leave our home and made our way to Poland, uh, where for the last four months we've been refugees, uh, like millions of other Ukrainians throughout Europe. 
And uh, thankfully, we were able to find housing. Uh, the girls were able to continue their school online and finish the year. Uh, so that's, um, yeah, a little bit of our story. And we've, yeah, been continuing in ministry there, but also struggling with what does it mean to be forced out of your home and, yeah, think about life a little differently. And make our way to Poland doesn't quite, <laughs> probably quite encompass what that what that journey was like. I mean, that yeah, was it was a hard, hard it was a hard journey. Something we, you'll continue to process for a long time. I yeah, mean, twelve yeah. hours. Well, sorry, twelve miles of line in the car, three three nights in the car uh, as we waited across the border. So yeah, a little bit yeah, a hard hard journey. a hard journey. Absolutely. Um, yeah, one that we will not forget. No, no, for sure. And will shape your life in so many ways, and, and you all as well. I know continue to shape your life as you think about the Lord. A lot to reflect on. What are you learning? What God, what's God teaching you through this? I, I know it's very much in process, but just encouraging the church as brothers and sisters in Christ, what's your encouragement? What are you learning? We have been experiencing God very tangibly, and one of the lessons we've learned was that he's, been, he's faithful, he is good, and like we sang this morning, he is the almighty fortress that goes before us, and the battle does belong to him. As we were in that 12-mile line at the border between Ukraine and Poland, we spent three nights, three days, slept in the car, moving very slowly. Uh, we thought originally, well, we'll pack for a one-day, two-day trip. Uh, here's this much food, this much water. We ran out of all of that on the third day, and we were in the middle of nowhere, fields and fields, as, long as, you, as far as you can see, no gas stations, no bathrooms. And all of a sudden, all these residents of neighboring towns that were miles and miles away from this highway where we were sitting, they would make hot meals at home, got in their cars, and drive to this highway where 12-mile long lines of vehicles and thousands and thousands of people walking across the border were. So they fed us hot meals, gave us a hot drink, and there was God's provision. When we were in Poland already settling down, we got immediately involved in relief work, buying medicine, medical supplies, food, and sending back to Ukraine. Because hundreds and hundreds of soldiers and civilians are wounded every day. Ukrainian hospitals at capacities, pharmacies at capacity, there are shortages of food, uh, Russian missiles and rockets fly and target civilian infrastructure. So the need is huge, either material or spiritual. We were overwhelmed, we didn't know what to do. We wanted to help, so we would reach out to our friends and supporters, supporting churches, and God would provide, would provide all the funds, would provide the volunteers to make those trips. So using this opportunity, I want to say thank you to all of you who've been praying and giving. You've been part of God's work there. How much do you know about next steps? Like what, where does it go from right now? I know that you're still working out some of that, but what, what's next step, Ryan, from here? Yeah, we are still working out some of the details. Uh, so um, we spent those four months in Poland and then about a month ago came here to the States. Uh, we've been planning um, for a few years now to be back in the States this summer, so that was not a change of plans um, <clears throat> because we're going to be dropping off Veronica uh, at university. She will be attending uh, Wheaton College up outside Chicago. Um, however, um, those next steps after we drop her off were a little, uh, have been a little less clear. Uh, but right now we do know uh, our the two other girls, Erica and Laura, have uh, gotten into a, a Christian school that's outside Budapest, Hungary. And as a family, when we return at the end of August, we'll be transitioning to Budapest. Uh, we still don't know where we're going to live. We have to find housing and answer a lot of other questions about visas and residency and 
all of those types of bureaucratic details. Uh, but our plan is for at least the next year to be based there so the girls can be in school and have some stability. Uh, but we, Lena and I, will continue our ministry. Uh, much of it's on Zoom, uh, and from Budapest, we can also travel to the countries that we still are able to travel to. And as Lena mentioned, relief work. We also were thankful to be in, in Hungary, which borders Ukraine, so we can still be involved in relief work going to Ukraine and amongst Ukrainians who have fled to Hungary. Yeah. Obviously, we're trying to take five-hour, five-day conversation and put it in five minutes. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to ask them after the service. They'll be in the mission center. One of the things I love about Emmaus, and I try to say this a lot, is one sign of a great church is you leave really slowly. We love the fact that you stick around for so long after the service. Make part of that time in the mission center. They would love to tell you more stories and, and hear more, not just for the purpose of hearing, telling stories, but to talk about God's faithfulness and goodness. And so just know you've got an opportunity after the service to, to spend some time with them and, and have conversation. In the time we have right now, how can we pray for you guys? What, what does that look like? Thank you. Please pray for the war to end, uh, for God's justice to prevail. Uh, a lot of people are coming to Christ right now. There's a huge spiritual need in Ukraine. May this not stop. May this continue. Pray for our adjustment to Hungary, for housing, for, for the girls to adjust to a new school, for Veronica, our elders, to adjust to a university in the U.S. Please continue praying for our ministry. Our call to university student ministry is still as strong as ever, and we want to share the gospel with students uh, in the former Soviet Union. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to do that right now uh, for you guys to be able to pray that. Let's pray together in Mayus this morning. Father, we remember that theme that you are faithful and you are good, and, and that's true regardless of the circumstances of our lives, God. We, we experience all kinds of ups and downs, but who you are does not change. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the, how that hope of the gospel is going out to, to people in Ukraine, uh, continuing, God, to pray for the gospel to move forward in Russia and those areas around. And God, we thank you for the ministry that's happening among university students. We think about what that means with college students, university students here at Emmaus and, and in our area, what that looks like at Wheaton, uh, what that looks like in university students in Europe and Asia. And God, thank you for the way that you've put the Welches there to be able to minister. God, I pray for the family as they go to Hungary, for the girls to get connected and have friendships and continue to, to grow um, during that time. And Father, we thank you again for what it means to be connected as a part of the body of Christ around the world. God, you give us the gift of local churches, which are such great gifts, and then you connect us around the world as part of the Big C Church. And we are thankful for that. And so, Father, be with this family in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Brian. So, again, we want you to be able to spend time with them after the service. I'm just so thankful for, you know, you see news reports, and it's one thing to watch the news, and it's another thing to know someone impacted by the news, going through the things that we see. And, and so I'm so thankful for the way we see that and for them taking time to be with, us, uh, be with us this morning. Let me give you a question as we get started this morning. Put a question in front of you. Have you ever asked yourself, where did that come from? <laughs> like, where did that come from? Now, don't send me... Don't, don't send me any emails this week about the preposition being at the end of that question, okay? Like, we're not, we're not talking grammar. I'm just trying to express this in the way that, that we would say it, so I don't need your grammar emails. You know how much I love grammar. Um, but the question of you say something or you do something and you think, oh, no, wh where did that come from? That's not me, is it? 
or is it? <laughs> is that word, is that phrase, is that action that came out, is that actually me? Uh, one of the things I'll do when I'm meeting new people, or especially if you're out, I'm out playing golf or meet somebody I don't know, I try to keep the pastor card tucked in my back pocket as long as possible, you know, because you'll be playing with these guys, and they're just cursing up a storm and doing all these things, and they ask you, so Owen, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a job? And I'm like, oh, in fact, I'm a pastor. Uh, and then they come up with all these made-up cuss words you know they've never practiced or used very much. Like, they're trying to act like they're not, you know, this isn't really how I speak all the time. This is just, where did that come from? Well, what we find out in Scripture and what we know to be true is, is that came from within. It, it came from an idol within. It came from a lie we believed. It came from an emotion we haven't fully processed. And so we were angry with one person. And it came out against another person. Or there's something in our lives that's never been fully resolved. And it keeps coming out and impacting people around us. We have all these things that happen within us and they come out. The question is, how do we deal with that? Because we don't want those things that come out negatively to define us. We want to live lives that show people the good news of Jesus. What does that look like? Well, let's look in Scripture, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. We looked at these verses quickly last week, and we're going to use them as the bridge this week to get into uh, two more stories from Mark. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me. In your mind, underline here, or literally, underline here. That word is going to connect to the very last verse, the very last section in Mark chapter 7. Hear me, all of you, and understand. So there's about to be kind of a parable idea here. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. So we're not made impure, we're not made unholy by what comes at us from the outside, but it's the things that come out of a person. Those are what make him um, impure, defiled. Verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Shout out to whichever kid in the congregation, I don't know who you are, but somebody turned to their parents last week and said, I knew bacon was good. Um, so great job, whatever kid said that. Um, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, and, and let this verse terrify you just a little bit, it's meant to, let, let this verse terrify you. From within, out of the heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, adultery coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Those things come from within. So for our words and our actions to be changed, what do we need? We need a new heart. We need to be changed on the inside. We have been created by God, we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. We want the words that come out of our mouths and we want the actions of our lives to show people who Jesus is and what he's all about and how he changes us. And for that to happen, you need a new heart. You can't clean yourself up on the inside, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many religious services you attend, no matter how many self-discipline programs you go through, we are ultimately not able to change our heart. 
Only Jesus can do that. And you have language from the Old Testament that's brought into the New Testament about us needing a new heart. We need to be saved. And Jesus is able to do that. And it's true, and it's good, but guess what? In the process of living as a follower of Jesus, that change of your words and actions doesn't happen immediately, does it? It takes time. It takes time throughout your life for your life to be changed from the inside out, for new words and new actions to come out of you. I love this quote from Pete Scazzaro, a pastor and author that I've learned so much from on this topic. But Pete says, as Christians, we have Jesus in our heart and grandpa in our bones. Uh, We have Jesus in our heart and grandpa in our bones. And what he means by that is as a follower of Jesus, you've been saved, you've been made right with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. But guess what? We still got a lot to work on. We still have a lot of grandpa in our bones. We still have a lot of our mom and dad. We still have a lot of our history that comes out. And we need that transformation to take place. How does that happen? Well, I can tell you right now, it's not a formula. And I can't solve it in one morning for you. But these next two stories in Mark 7 are going to put us on that road. And really the entire Christian experience, the entire Christian life is about learning how God wants to change your life from the inside out. How he wants to do that. So this morning I'm going to give you two words, two phrases that are based on these next couple of stories in the gospel. And they'll help us work on this question. God, how are you going to change my life so I speak and act differently? All right, next story. Here we go. Verse 24. From there... Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, that, he's moving into a Gentile area, is, is the idea here. He's moving into a Gentile area. And he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, in verse 25, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile a Syrophoenician by birth. Okay, about that verse right there. I want you to understand the situation Jesus is walking into. This woman that he is going to interact with, she has everything against her. First, she's female in a society where that wasn't an easy thing to do. She's a Gentile, so she's already considered an outsider to the religious work that's happening in the area. And on top of that, she has a little girl who is hurting and is impure. And you know in life that when your children are suffering through things or dealing with difficulties, it ends up impacting the way other people look and other people think about your life. And so she's dealing with all these things right here in her own life. What does it say in the middle of verse 26? What does she do? She does the only thing she can. She begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her in verse 27, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And that should be one of those moments you think, is that in the Bible? <laughs> like, seriously, like, how, how did that end in the Bible? That, that's not the precious moments Jesus. And, and that's not the Jesus with blue eyes and, and flowing brown hair that's in the back of, of the church that you might have grown up in in that painting. Like, who's, what's going on in this verse? What is Jesus saying here? I want you to know, I want you to feel that tension a little bit because it does create some tension that Jesus is saying something here that's really hard to make sense of and hard to resolve. I can tell you right from the beginning, 
This is in no way an allowance for us to speak in a derogatory way toward other people. Sometimes it's been misused in really bad ways like that, and that's not at all what's going on here. What's happening here? How does Jesus teach most of the time? He teaches in parables, right? And sometimes those parables are extended teaching, and sometimes the teaching of Jesus, it's a parable that's acted out with someone so that as people watch that miracle happen, or as Jesus, or people watch Jesus interact with someone, they are seeing the kingdom of God explained to them. And so Jesus' interaction with this woman here, the way he's speaking to her, he is setting up a parable here. And the parable he is setting up is this idea that the ministry of God, the blessings of God, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 in your Bible, the blessings of God were going to come first to whom? To the Jews. And then to the Gentiles. And so he's saying here that the blessing, the bread, the bread that Jesus provided, remember he just fed 5,000 people with this miracle of bread, his blessings were going to come to the Jews, and then they were going to come to the Gentiles. How were the Gentiles thought of by the Jewish people around? Like dogs. They were considered low class, not even human in some respect. They were pushed to the side. And so Jesus is meeting her in this type of situation, and he is going to show her something about the kingdom of God. What did she do in reply to Jesus? She answered, yes, Lord, you're right. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You may have one of those dogs at home that's just like the vacuum cleaner for the family, like food, food falls down and the dog comes in. Our dog, for whatever reason, is just obsessed with skinny pop. Like that skinny pop popcorn that you can buy uh, at Sam's, he will beg till the day is done just to get more skinny pop. Like he didn't care about breadcrumbs, but if you put skinny pop in here, a patch would be all about, about this story here. What does this woman realize? She realizes that the kingdom of God, the blessings of God were meant to go to the Jews first, but that ultimately they were going to make their way to the Gentiles. And she is desperate for whatever God is able to give her family. She's humble and she's determined. And what does Jesus do in the next verse? He said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Don't miss this is not just the demon being pushed out here. What has Jesus ultimately come to do? He's come to destroy sin and evil and darkness and death. And what happens in this woman's household is a picture of what Jesus is going to do through the cross and the resurrection. And that blessing is going to come to whom? It's gonna to go to the Jews and the Gentiles. It's gonna to go to people who think they deserve it and people who know they don't deserve it. And so the first step to experiencing the change of God in your life. What God wants to do in your life is that you have to have humble, determined faith. And if you're taking notes on your phone or, or students as you're thinking through this, if you just want one word, the word is humility. The first step to experiencing a changed life where the words and the actions that come out of your heart are different is that as a follower of Jesus, our lives are defined by humility. Not passive humility, but this lady, she's, she's tenacious. Like, she's getting after it. I threw a joke up on the screen earlier that I didn't refer to, but she's the ultimate underdog. <laughs> she's a dog under the table who says, I know that Jesus is going to work in my life. 
And if you want to extend the pun further, she has dogged determination. So she is an underdog with a dogged determination, and you can sigh and roll your eyes, but it'll help you remember, okay, when you go home, what this lady is all about. She has humility, and she has faith, and she's not going to give up. And all the old preachers had the best quotes, and I love this quote from Dwight Moody. Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were already full of themselves. How does God change your life when you humbly realize how much you need him to do that? The more that we try to hold on to our lives, the less we'll experience the change of God. The more we release our hands and say, God, humbly, I know I don't bring a lot to the table. I know I struggle, but I need you. I trust you. Work in my life in this way. Now look at the next story, because it'll take us to another, another idea. Verse 31. Then Jesus returned from this region where he had went to Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. So he's kind of going back to where the home region, but he goes to the region of the Decapolis. Now this is, if you re- remember this area, this is where the demon-possessed man was living in the cemetery, and Jesus provided another uh, rescue in that situation. Verse 32. They brought to him here a man who was deaf, and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So the person he's gonna interact with here can't hear, and probably because of the struggle with hearing is not able to speak well. It's probably not that no words came out, but the words that came out were not understandable. So something has impacted this person's hearing, which also impacted the speech. Verse 33, taking him aside from the crowd, Jesus is not, he doesn't need to fill up a stadium of people to come watch the miracles. If you have to invite people to a stadium to watch the miracles, you're probably not doing the work of Jesus. He takes him aside from the crowd privately, and he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. All right, children, in the room, okay. (laughs) So last week, we talked about, even though the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate, you still had to wash your hands. Same thing applies here. This is not permission to go around putting your fingers in other people's ears, okay, or or touching their tongues. What's Jesus doing here? Well, we think in technology, if if Jesus, you know, was using an otoscope or if he was using a tongue compressor, depressor, we wouldn't think anything about it. But here, he is acting out for this man who can't hear him. He's acting out the miracle that he's going to do in his life. And by, by touching him, by doing this, it shows that he's connected, that he cares for him. If Jesus speaks to this man, it's not going to do any good because because he can't hear him. He is acting out for him. He is showing him what he's going to do. Verse 34, looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed, not because he was frustrated. It, It was a show of emotion in prayer. So he's emotionally involved in prayer in this guy's life. He sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Have you ever seen those videos of someone who's not able to hear, and they receive some type of implant or some type of procedure that allows them to hear for the first time? For me, put those videos almost on the same videos of the military personnel coming back and being, you know, reunited with their family. Like, it's 10 minutes of crying that you're trying to recover from. Like, hopefully it's not in public when you watch these videos. But someone who's never been able to hear, and now they're able to hear, and they see the grace of God on display. 
And now, not only can they hear, but because their hearing has been miraculously fixed, they're able to speak plainly as well. Verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one. Why? Why would they not go around telling everyone? What's the miracle designed to point to? The cross and the resurrection. The reason they don't tell anyone at this point is because the time is not right yet. If they go around talking about this miracle, people aren't going to understand what Jesus is doing here. So don't tell anyone yet. That that time will come. But the more he charged them not to tell anyone, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So when you're studying your Bible, I'll give you a little tip that is, is really helpful that I like to think about when, when I'm studying my Bible. Think about a computer screen. And you know on computer screens, sometimes words are highlighted and underlined. And what does that tell you? Like there's a hyperlink there. Like if you click on that, it's going to take you to another place. When you're, when you're studying your Bible, when you're reading your Bible, imagine that there are hyperlinks to, to the words that if you clicked on them, they would take you, they would connect you to another place in the Bible. If your Bible was hyperlinked here in verse 37, it would just be exploding. Like the technology wouldn't be able to hold it because of all the places it's being connected to in other places in Scripture. He does all things well. What happened at the end of creation? God created all things, and what were they? They were good. They were very good. In creation, God did all things well. What is Jesus doing with his ministry? He's bringing the new creation. And the God who created the world, when he brings the new creation, how will he do it? He will do it well. He does all things well. And here this idea that he would make the deaf hear and the mute speak, that connects to Isaiah 35 in your Bible. And in fact, I have the verses on the screen so you can see them. Isaiah chapter 35 is is our connection point about how divinely empowered hearing happens here. What does it say in Isaiah 35? When God comes to make all things new, what will happen? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute seen for joy. In your Bible, Mark chapter 7, verse 37 is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 35. This is the blessings of heaven poured out upon the people of God. This is what Jesus came to do. But then look at the very next verse in Isaiah 35. A highway shall be there for the people, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. I'm going to try not to jump at this point because I just don't jump very high and it'd be embarrassing, but I want to jump because of how cool this is, okay? This is so incredible. When you think about Jesus' ministry and what he's doing, how is that described in the, in the Gospel of Mark? What's that, what's that look like in the New Testament for the people of God, the Christians? They are called the way. To follow Jesus is to walk on the way, is to be a part of the way. What did Jesus come? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does this say? Isaiah 35, when the promises of God are fulfilled, those who belong to it, those who walk on the way. Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to experience the life that he pours out. Now let's remember, let's go to a summary slide and think through this a little bit more deeply. Let me give you some personal application of what this looks like. How does change happen in the Christian life? How can 
maybe, maybe you're caught up in a pattern of behavior where you don't like what comes out of your mouth on a consistent basis. You're really frustrated by some habits that you can't break or some things that you keep doing that you're like, I don't want to express anger in that way. I, I don't want to be dominated by lust in this way. I, I, I don't want to live my life in this way. I know Jesus is making me new. How does that happen? Well, remember that idea of humility. We must, as believers, embrace humility and brokenness. And we are not very good at this. <laughs> we are really good at keeping up a good image, and we're really good at knowing how to come and play church, and we're really good at knowing how to do those things, and we struggle with this idea of embracing humility and brokenness to realize how much we need God and how much we need other people. Wednesday night at our deacons meeting, uh, some guys were talking about this and just expressing to the other men, to the other deacons, and guys are generally not particularly good at this, but just expressing some really difficult things they were dealing with in their family and their lives. And this gentleman that was sharing on Wednesday night talked about how much God has taught him recently how being vulnerable with other people will bring healing in his own life and hope to his own life. As the people of God, we must be vulnerable. We must be open. We must embrace this humility and brokenness. Realizing that grief and loss are an open door for God to do a really good work in your life when you experience grief and loss. Realizing that there are things in your past, there are things in your family upbringing that you can try to hide, but the more you try to hide it, the less you're gonna experience God's work in your life. The more we deal with those things, the more we realize how much we need God, the more we're gonna be able to experience the transformation that God wants to bring. Sunday school is a really good first step toward that. We see Sunday school classes on Sunday morning as putting you in position to connect with people that then you can take the next step and really develop those relationships where you can share with people and care for one another and realize, guess what? We have so many struggles going on around us. Wednesday night during the little Bible study that we were having on Wednesday night, we talked about C.S. Lewis's definition of friendship. Friendship begins when one person looks at another and says, you too? Uh, how many friendships begin when you realize you're not the only person going through that situation? Or you're not the only person who's experienced that? You look at somebody else and realize, you too, you've been there before. We embrace that humility and brokenness. We have to have this determined, ongoing faith. Christian transformation, friends, it's slow. <laughs> it's slow and it's hard and you have to stay in the game. And what did this person experience at the end of Mark 7? Their ears were open. They could hear, and when they heard the word of God, they were able to speak it. In our world, we have so much noise that comes at us all the time, so many things that fill, our mind, fill up our mind and our ears. To experience God's work in your life, you have to put yourself in a position to hear from him, which means you're gonna have to slow down, you're gonna have to turn down the noise, and you're gonna have to be willing to listen to other people. Sometimes that means just putting the phone away. Sometimes that just means slowing down enough to have a conversation with someone. How does God change your life? When you humbly realize how much you need his transformation, when you refuse to give up, and when you slow down and make yourself quiet enough to truly hear from him. God, help me to turn down the volume. Help me to put those things away. I need to hear from you. Uh, and if you're married, 
Oftentimes, the voice of God sounds strangely like your wife or or your husband. Uh, As you turn down, you listen to that, or or a good friend that God's put in your life. You got all these voices coming in in your ears telling you what to do, and you push that aside, and you listen to a good friend who cares for you, and they'll tell you the hard truth. They'll tell you what you need to hear in that moment. That's how God begins to bring transformation in your life. This week, would you slow down? Have times of quiet. Think about God's work in your life. And here's what I want to do to end this morning. I want to give you a phrase that I hope you will repeat over and over and over and over again to yourself this week. And it's the phrase from Mark 7. He does all things well. If you will carry that phrase with you this week, make a screensaver on your phone about it, write it on your arm, Maybe don't go all the way for a tattoo, but just write it, you know, in in ink. But whatever you want to do, repeat this to yourself. When you get up in the morning, when you go to sleep at night, he does all things well. He does all things well when your life is falling apart and you need his faithfulness and strength and goodness. He does all things well when you realize that every good thing that comes into your life is a gift from him. He does all things well when he gives you a good friend and a loving church and people who care about you. He does all things well with Oklahoma sunsets, (laughs) with Colorado mountains, with going out to spend a day with a friend and have coffee. He does all things well when he points your life toward the cross and the resurrection. And I can guarantee you he does all things well in eternity that there is life that goes beyond this world, that what we see right now is not the end of the story, and we have hope, not because we got our lives together, but because we turn to him, he does all things well. Would you bow your heads with me? As we wrap up this morning, we're gonna sing a song that reminds us that he does all things well. That Jesus is better than anything that this world could ever offer, And that we want our lives to be different. We want our lives to share him, to speak about him, to live lives that honor him. And when it doesn't look like that, we turn back to him and say, Jesus, would you change my life from the inside out? We have to be humble enough to realize we don't have it all together, to reach out to people. And we have to be quiet enough to hear God speaking to us and saying, He does all things well. During this last song, as we continue to pray, as we continue to think about this, would you use this song as as your prayer, that you believe this to be true? And here in just a minute, as we stand and sing, that you would be able to come to the front and just kneel down and say, God, I need you to change my life. I don't want to speak like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I need you to change my life from the inside out. Use this morning as a starting point for that. Father, thank you for how good you are. Thank you for these stories that you put in the Bible, stories that are a little bit odd when we first read them, but we see how the Bible fits together. We see the hope that is found here. God, thank you for the reminder from the Welch family this morning that you are faithful and you are good, and Jesus is better than anything that we would ever face in this world. And we believe that he does all things well. In Jesus' name, amen.